behave. Today is Sunday, May the 10th, 2009, and we're at the First United Methodist Church of Fountain Valley, and it's Mother's Day. We're going to have a little shorter lesson today because we got started a little late, just talking. And I'm going to ask Bill Beverly to open us in prayer. Our Father, we thank Thee today for Thy many blessings, for Thy taking care of us, looking after us, and helping us. Father, we thank Thee for all the mothers today. Father, be with them, bless them, help them to continue to be the blessing they are on each family. Father, be with Vicki today as she works with us poor sinners. In that name we ask, Amen. Us poor sinners, there's no truer word than that. Us <laughs> poor miserable sinners. Well, last week, you know, that was, I thought it was a good lesson, but when you think about the subject matter, it's kind of heavy. Chapter 3 of Job, where he is um, cursing the day that he was born. And I was reminded that Jeremiah did the same thing, and we did Jeremiah just a couple of books ago. And I wanted to take you back there to remind you, in Jeremiah 20, um, and it's kind of interesting because after Jeremiah gets it off his, off his heart, um, the Lord doesn't really respond to it. And it's kind of interesting, at Job 20, I mean, at Jeremiah 20.13, he says, Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of the evildoers. That sounds kind of good, doesn't it? Then chap, uh, verse 14, Cursed be the day on which I was born. The day when my mother bore me, let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father, a son is born to you, making him very glad. Let that man be like the cities that the Lord overthrew without pity. Let him hear a cry in the morning and an alarm at noon, because he didn't kill me in the womb, so my mother would have been my grave, and her womb forever great. Why did I come out from the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? It's kind of interesting, chapter 21 goes, and the Lord doesn't really respond to that, and I mentioned the three books I've been kind of drawing on in this Job series. And uh, one of them is the Bob Sorge book, and the other is Oswald Chambers, and one is uh, John Piper. And uh, Sorge comments on this, on Job's cursing the day he was born, and you notice that the Lord never chastised him for that. Nor does the Lord ever chastise Jeremiah either uh, for that. And... Uh, he says, when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, there's only one person that stood up to the worst testing and could be commended in every moment of it, and that was Jesus himself. But we humans, even the best of us, even those of us that have known the Lord the most, will have a point of falling. And I think that God just understood that Job was in incredible pain. Jeremiah was in incredible pain when he said those things. Um, Jeremiah was a great prophet, and we read through his whole book and how he stood with the people of God at their worst chastisement from God for all their idolatry and sin and continued to minister to them after the uh, Babylonian armies were successful in overthrowing Jerusalem. 
and they all went into exile. So um, we, we finished chapter 3, and now we're at chapter 4. We've had these three friends who heard of all of Job's troubles, and they came from a long distance, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And they sit with Job for seven days at the end of chapter 2, and they don't say a word. Have you ever gone to visit the sick? Maybe you spend an hour or two in, the, in their hospital room with them. Have you ever gone and not said anything? You say something, even though you don't know what to say. You try to show that you're aware that they're in trouble and they're in uh, pain. But these guys came and they were silent for seven days, for they saw that his suffering was very great. And James reminds us of that in chapter 5 about Job and his terrible suffering. You don't have to turn there, I'll find it. Job chapter, I mean James chapter 5. And this is a good verse to hang on to when you're in suffering. And James says, Behold, we consider those blessed who have remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And the Lord is compassionate and merciful, and Job was in incredible suffering. Now they, they will open their voices, though, these, their, their mouths, these three comforters, and this adds a lot of additional suffering. I would guess that when Job first saw his three friends, he must have thought, how great is this? I'm in my greatest suffering. My wife has told me to curse God and die, and now these three guy friends show up. They're going to have something good to say to me. They're going to help me with my misery and help me get through this. But they actually just heap more pain on to Job because their perceptions and how they try to help Job process his pain and why he has the pain that he has is not correct. In fact, they will be chastised in the end from the Lord. Nonetheless, Job will have to endure this. So we have the first one, Eliphaz the Temanite, and he answers it for verse 1. If one ventures a word with you, Will you be impatient? Yet who can keep from speaking? Behold, you have instructed many. He's talking to Job now. You, Job, have strengthened the weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have made firm the feeble knees. You're going to see throughout all these passages echoes of other passages that you've heard in the Bible, and I'll point some of them out as we go along. This one about the feeble knees comes right out of Hebrews, or Hebrews comes right out of here. Job was first, you know. Uh, and we're going to have more from Hebrews 12 about the chastisement of the Lord. But in Hebrews, it says, chapter 12. Sometimes I quote this one to myself. Um... Therefore, at chapter 12, 12, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, the writer of Hebrews says, and make straight paths for your feet. So what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. So he's saying to Job, you've been an elder, you've been the instructor, you've the one that has strengthened other weak people and held them up while they were stumbling. You have made firm the feeble knees, but now it has come to you. 
and you are impatient. Patience and trial is one of the hardest things, is having patience. It touches you and you are dismayed. Is not your fear of God your confidence and the integrity of your ways your hope? Remember who was innocent, who that was innocent ever perished, or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. So now he's pointing the finger and saying, rhetorically, the innocent just don't suffer, and it's not a right theology. And those who plow iniquity are the ones that reap iniquity. So he might as well be saying, Job, you must have plowed iniquity to be in this trouble. By the breath of God they perish, and by the blast of his anger they are consumed. Well, what just happened to Job? Wasn't there a wind that came and destroyed some things, and a fire that came and destroyed some stuff? We talked about how Job was hit in every trial and when we were in chapter 1. There was a blast from God. The fire of God fell from heaven at 1.16 and burned up the sheep and the servants. Okay, And there was a wind that came also. A great wind, this is what destroyed the children, came across the wilderness at 119, and it struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So a fire destroyed his livestock, and a wind destroyed his children. So do you think that this is insult to injury when... Eliphaz says, by the breath of God they perish, and by the blast of his anger they are consumed. The roar of the lion, the voice of the fierce lion, the teeth of the young lions are broken. The strong lion perishes for lack of prey, and the cubs of the lionesses are scattered. Now, now this is the hardest thing that's going to start to happen when your friend comes. And he's just been silent with you for seven days, very respectful. Now he opens his mouth to say, I have processed what I have seen, and I think maybe trouble has come to you because of your iniquity. And the destruction has been the consequence of that. Now he's going to talk about his spiritual visions. It's very hard when a comforter comes to you and says, this is what I hear from the Lord, right? And you process their message, and their message just doesn't sound right to you. Now a word was brought to me stealthily. My ear received the whisper of it. Amid thoughts from visions of the night, when deep sleep falls on man, dread came upon me in trembling, which made all my bones shake. A spirit glided past my face. The hair of my flesh stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. In other words, he's telling Job, I had a vision in the night, and I think it has something to do with your trouble. And a spirit came to me in a whisper, and a form was before my eyes, and then there was silence, and I heard this voice. And this is what the voice said, Can mortal man be in the right before God? Can a man be pure before his Maker? Even in his servants he puts no trust, and his angels he charges with error. How much more those who dwell in the houses of clay? Do we have angels that were charged with error? 
Yeah, a third of them fell, right? Yeah, Lucifer, an angel charged with error. How much more us mere men, those that live in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed like the moth. Between morning and evening they are beaten to pieces. They perish forever without anyone regarding it. Is not their tent cord plucked up within them? Do they not die in that without wisdom? So he puts a pretty strong case before Job. This is his brother in the Lord who's come to him and say, I, I, I've seen your great trouble, I've seen your suffering. I haven't said anything for seven days, but this is what's coming to me. I think you might have sowed some trouble here, Job. And I think especially I'm right about this because I had this vision in the night. And I think an angel came to me and said that the mortal is just not right before God. And he's not pure before his maker. And I think that that's the hardest part when you're in spiritual battle is to try to discern what is the voice of God and what is the voice of the stranger. And I actually had planned on sharing that last week. That it's a very key thing when Jesus told us that we would not hear the voice of a stranger. And in John 10, he says, He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. I think Job understood. I think Job had to process, okay, this is Eliphaz. He's my friend. He's a godly man. He's been with me seven days now. And he feels like he needs to say something. But this is a pretty hard message to bear from my best friend's mouth. And before I judge it too harshly, let me not forget that he's even had a spiritual experience here that in the night an angel came to him and he's had more to say on my dilemma. And yet, when the Spirit of God is in you and you can't, you want to hear only the voice of Jesus, you process it and your spirit says there's something wrong with this message. That's really why we have to have the Spirit of God or we will process the voice of strangers. Imagine if Jesus had processed that they thought he cast out devils by Beelzebub or that he was a wine-bibber, whatever that is, drunk too much wine. What if he stood back and said, the Pharisees are right, I must be blasphemous. Wouldn't that have been a terrible thing? Except he knew. Why did he know? Well, I had a little insight on that, too, because this will tell you it's not good for us to judge things that we may just not know that much about. But Jesus said at John 5, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Sometimes, if you can't understand something, 
it's better to just leave it alone than to insert something that might bring more pain to the person that's suffering because you may not really understand what's going on. In the end, God never shared with any of them that he'd had a private conversation with the devil. <clears throat> Chapter 5. Call now, is there anyone who will answer you? To which of the holy ones will you turn? Surely vexation kills the fool and jealousy slays the simple. I have seen the fool taking root, but suddenly I cursed his dwelling. His children are far from safety and they are crushed in the gate and there is no one to deliver them. Well, that kind of just happened to Job, didn't it? His children were not far from safety and they were crushed, literally, when that wind came. The house fell on them and they were crushed. The hungry eat his harvest and he takes it even out of thorns and the thirsty pant after his wealth. For affliction does not come from the dust nor does trouble sprout from the ground. But man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. As for me, now Job, if this was happening to me, I would seek God. Oh, that must have been a great comfort, huh? I would seek God and to God would I commit my cause. Who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. He can really go on, this Eliphaz guy. He gives rain on the earth. He's going to talk about all the greatness of God. He frustrates the devices of the crafty, catches the wise in their own craftiness. Now, there is a passage that's been quoted in the New Testament. You'll find that passage in 1 Corinthians 3.19. Because the Lord does frustrate the devices of the crafty. And herein is wisdom. To know that that is truth. That God is the one who searches and his ways are past knowing and he gives rain and sends water. But it was misapplied truth to the situation. So by having it repeated to us in 1 Corinthians 3, we know that the Lord does catch the wise in their own craftiness. But you know what's going to be interesting when we finish the book? Who is the wise that's going to be caught in their own craftiness? Is it going to be Job? Or is it going to be Eliphaz? He's going to be judged by his own words, isn't he? And he will have been the wise one caught in his own craftiness. I know we're all close to time. I just want to get a little farther. Um, the schemes of the wily are brought to a quick end. They meet with darkness in the daytime, grope at noonday as in the night. But he saves the needy from the sword of their mouth and from the hand of the mighty. So the poor have hope and injustice shuts her mouth. Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. Now, where does that come from? Hebrews 12, again. I should have kept my finger in there while I was there. Same thing. So now you see the wisdom of the bad comforters is actually repeated in other places of Scripture for us. So there's nothing wrong with the wisdom. And it says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, Hebrews 12, 5, nor be wearied when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. What son is there whom his father doesn't discipline? 
The interesting thing about that word is I think the word discipline evokes a lot of different meaning for different people. When I hear the word discipline, I hear punishment. That's what I hear. I disciplined my child, which might be I spanked my child. But actually, discipline is, has a far greater meaning than that. I actually looked it up in the dictionary. And it says that, that discipline can be punishment, but it says it can be a field of study, and it's training that corrects, molds, perfects the mental faculties or moral character, a control gained by enforcing obedience or order, our conduct or pattern of behavior. The Lord molds the one whom he loves. The Lord perfects the mental faculties of the sons whom he receives. Hopefully that sheds a whole different light on the passage. And it seems though a lot of his greatest servants have suffered the most. Paul suffered incredibly. Joseph, the suffering of Joseph. Maybe there's one side where you can see Joseph as a little brat boy that was arrogant to his brothers, telling him his dreams and getting them all mad at him. But those, Joseph didn't deserve what happened to him. Those that do, can do much will probably have more disappointment, though. Yeah. And actually, I was, I've been kind of this year meditating a lot more on the Psalms, and I did point out that it's interesting that Job is right before the Psalms. But here's one of the Psalms that I read this week. It says, For you, O God, have tested us. This is 6610, and I think I'll have to leave it with this. You have tested us, and you have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. Job's place of abundance, of course, we know is going to happen quite a few chapters from now. But um, it's a very painful thing to be in a hard place and to not have your best friends understand what you're going through. And uh, we see that when uh, Eliphaz opens his mouth. Very, very good theology that Eliphaz has, but it's not rightly applied. He did not receive this from the Father for Job's situation. So I think we're going to have to, because we're definitely out of time, have to leave it there. And Louise, do you think you would mind closing this in prayer? Heavenly Father, just bless these words to our minds and our lives, Lord, and just help us to digest this, this lesson. Um, Father, help us to um, follow your word and be an example to others. Go with us throughout this Mother's Day, Lord, and bless all the mothers in this church and their sacrifices and their will to teach their children about you. And Father, just to be with every family as we go throughout the coming days. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. I'm so glad you guys are... Uh...